Hey there, and welcome to Homeschoolhood, the show and community where we talk about all things education and parenthood and the beautiful mess where they intersect homeschool. I'm Erica Ladd, former public school teacher and parent turned homeschool mom to my two elementary age daughters. I never thought we'd homeschool, but we accidentally fell in love with it this past year and haven't looked back. Whether you homeschool or not, my hope is that you find encouragement, practical ideas, and some real talk about raising and educating tiny humans here on Homeschoolhood. Hello, happy September. Fall is around the corner. Nothing makes me want to cozy up with a book more than this time of year. So this is something I get asked a lot about, and today's episode is going to be all about raising readers. How do we get our kids to love reading? How do we help a struggling reader? How do we encourage quality book choices? All of the above. But before we get started, just a few reminders that I share a ton of book content, especially books for homeschool that go with our curriculum, independent readers, read alouds, all of the things over on my Instagram. Over there, I am at Erica L-A-D-D-E-R-I-C-A. And also we talk books and kids books a lot over on my other podcast that you might not know about. Um, It is with my good buddy, Kelsey, the Girl Next Door podcast, if you want even more on this topic. So go check that out. All right. First of all, why does it matter if our kids love books and are strong readers? I think we have all seen the studies and stats about literacy and improved academic achievement graduation rates, future success as adults, all of that. So we know that reading is important. and But I don't know that we think about the reason very often. It's important because it's foundational for so much other learning. Math, history, science, everything else requires reading at some point. And I noticed this when I was teaching in the public school classrooms. There is a big shift from learning to read in grades K through 2 to grades three and up being about reading to learn. You're now expected to be fairly proficient at reading and using that reading to learn about other things. So that's a big shift for kids and why we want them to be strong readers by the time they get to that point and then continue to build upon those foundational skills. Um, Also beyond academics, reading is a free connection to the world, right? Kids get a first, maybe a first time sense of just how big and diverse the world is and expand their minds to all of the possibilities for them, just career wise and relationally. And that is a lot of kids first exposure to so many things. So the number one thing you can do, and I know you hear it and we roll our eyes sometimes, but it is so true. The number one thing you can do with your kids throughout their time with you as, as children is to read aloud to them. The first reason for that is it improves reading, period. It models for them reading fluency. It lets them engage with the story elements and the other comprehension aspects without worrying about the mechanics of reading. It builds their vocabulary and increases their attention span and builds memory skills as they're listening and paying attention to what you're reading. The other reason that reading aloud is important is it's very bonding. It is something to connect over. It's a safe space to explore maybe some big feelings or risky situations and character traits. You get to kind of explore those things together in a no-stakes environment, right? 
Um, I find this particularly helpful for bonding with my kids and attaching and snuggling up when I have nothing else left to give, right? I can't answer one more question. I'm out touched for the day. I'm out mommy, mommy, mommied. Like I can't do it anymore. And so a book gives me this kind of, um, neutral way for me to just check out a little bit and get lost in a story with them when I I am running very low on energy. It's also creating memories together. So it's a very bonding experience to have these stories that are part of their childhood that that they have great memories of reading with you and hearing your voice. And all of those things are just really important for attachment and bonding. And I know that this can be one of those things that we add to our already long list of things I should do um, as a good parent and feel guilty about when we don't, but let's not do that to ourselves. And let's talk about what it doesn't have to be, okay? Because we think it has to look this certain way, and if it doesn't, we're doing something wrong. But let's, let's break that down a little bit. Reading aloud to your kids does not have to, number one, stop when they know how to read. I think it is a very common mistake that once parents know that their kids know how to read, they feel like it's maybe too babyish to read to them or it's enabling them and they need to figure it out on their own. And that is just simply not true. I mean, all the way into adulthood, think of how many of us like to listen to audiobooks and someone read with us. It's just activating a different space in our brain. Um, it's allowing for sometimes a more emotional connection to a story when you don't have to focus on the mechanics. Um, it's a great way to expose them to all kinds of literature they might not choose on their own. So don't stop reading to your kids once they know how to read. It also doesn't have to happen at bedtime. Say it again for the people in the back. Reading aloud to your kids does not have to happen at bedtime for it to count. In fact, in my house, it never happens at bedtime. I am too tired and I am too over it at the end of a day to be reading to my kids, especially those like, oh man, those little kid years. I am just, we are limping along to the finish line that is bedtime. So that is not the best time for me and my family. If that is the best time for you and your family and you love snuggling up with a book and you find it helps your kids go to sleep, you know, more relaxed and more at peace, have at it. There's also nothing wrong with that. And that is a great time to read aloud. But if it doesn't work for you, don't think that that's when it has to happen. Pick another time. So for example, in our house, when my kids um, were in school, I would read to them after I picked them up from school and we sat down with a snack. So they would wash up, they would put their folders and stuff away. And then the first thing we would do is get a snack and a book and I would read for like 20 minutes. It helped calm their minds. It helped calm their bodies and help them cool off. Usually it was about cooling off here in the desert. Um, It helped just get them, it was a nice transition activity to transition to being home before we busted out homework or chores or, um, you know, after school activities and commitments. It was just a great place to reconnect after a long day away from each other. Now I read aloud aloud to them a lot, obviously as part of teaching throughout the day, but we even have specific times set aside for just a read aloud for enjoyment. And we work through one of those a month. Um, It is snack time now. We're usually reading through a chapter book together that's just maybe a little bit above their level. Um, And we, we go downstairs, we take a break from our schoolwork. They grab a snack, usually maybe bring something to color with and keep their hands busy. 
and we read for maybe 20 to 30 minutes. And it is probably all of our favorite time of the day. It also does not have to be at their exact level. And in fact, that's the beauty of it. Like I mentioned, I tend to read above their grade level usually, but we also read things that are maybe below what their ability level, but that I want to focus on the illustrations or I want to focus on the history of maybe a picture book biography. So I think that don't think that you have to always be reading to them at their exact level. That is the nice part about it is that you can go above or below and maybe have a different purpose for your reading. I share a ton. Um, I have a video up actually on my Instagram about our read aloud plan for the school year. I use Brave Writers curriculum choices um, and she has little guides that go with her read aloud. So we'll pull things to do from that also to talk about grammar and mechanics and story elements, but we do follow that kind of for um, our read-alouds for the year. Another great resource for finding out more about read-alouds is read-aloud revival. Sarah over there has so much going on. Just Google that. There's a website with a ton of resources. She has a podcast. She's amazing. Um, Another podcast that my friend Sarah Powers actually has with her daughter that actually is just a great idea for inspiration for new kids books and media is Kid Literate. And she does that with her young teenage daughter and they talk about all kinds of kids books, kids apps, kids movies, and just give you maybe some ideas that you might not have thought of. So how do we create some natural ways to entice readers? How do we make reading fun? Okay, I have thoughts. Number one is to just have books everywhere. There's a technical term for this uh, in the literacy field called creating a print-rich environment. That just means words, books, reading material is everywhere um, without any expectations or like you have to read that book for 20 minutes kind of thing. So We have baskets everywhere. When they were little, even, there was a basket in their room to look at, you know, on the floor, things that are accessible to them. Um, Maybe while I was getting one of the, you know, getting their sister ready for the day, they could sit and look at board books and things like that. We had a book of, um, or a basket of books, excuse me, in the bathroom. And it was like specific books that were like their favorites that they could only look at while they were potty training to help with that. Um, We had a basket of books that was on our coffee table that was just like right in the middle of our living room where we were that they could reach for at any point in time. And don't stop at traditional chapter books or our picture books. We have magazines out, we have comics out, we have even just like, um, maybe like a National Geographic coffee table book that's just fun to flip through. It doesn't have to be, you know, these are my biscuit readers because I'm a first grade reader. It doesn't have to be like that. Kids read when it is visible and accessible and enticing. So even, um, you know, like I have now a lead shelf, one of those lead shelves that you might hang on the wall, but I just put it on top of our bookshelf. So I have Books organized in my book cubbies that are, you know, spine side out, but then I will rotate through for the week based on what we're learning or what season it is, a whole bunch of books that are facing out on that ledge shelf that, and I have found they just reach for those the most. And so they really need to see, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind with kids, especially. So have books out everywhere. 
Another thing that we did starting this past Christmas, and my kids are eight and nine, so that gives you an idea um, of kind of the age level this might be good to try, is I packaged up for them a set of their favorite books, like a series that they were into with a little clip-on book light that went on their bed and just provided, you know, just enough light to read. And I had a little note in there that told them that they, their present was they now got to stay up as late as they wanted reading. Now, I know that sounds crazy. I am a stickler for bedtime. And I had heard this suggestion many times and I'm like, I can't do it. Bedtime is bedtime. And let me tell you, bedtime is still bedtime. You go to bed at eight o'clock every night, but you are allowed to read as long as you are in your bed with only your reading light on. And that is all you are allowed to do. And so they got a lot of check-ins at first to make sure that's what they were actually doing. They often fall asleep with their face in a book, which is just the cutest to me. Um, They also know that if they can read as late as they want or until mom and dad come say it's lights out. So if we know they're really tired one day or I don't know, we have an early morning the next day, we will come do lights out earlier or at the very least we make sure that their light is out when we go to up to bed and that they are asleep by then. And it has worked out really, really well. And with my second grade or third grader now, excuse me, in particular, it has really fostered a love of reading. Like she is rereading some of her graphic novels over and over again and stuff, but she's, you can tell she's now in this habit that she loves to read before bed and she's just taken off with her reading as a result. So I know it works. Another thing is to use the library. And I will say this, um, I think especially the younger your kids are, it doesn't work. There's two different purposes with the library. I think going is a great little fun outing. Maybe you enjoy the story time and then just having all that exposure to books, picking out a few, sitting and reading them. I have found that even for us, it's almost better for me to make a list of like, you know, a curated list of books that I put on hold and then bring those home for them and let them choose from those. The library can be kind of overwhelming and they end up like with this weird FOMO. This is how my kids are in the library, this weird FOMO because there's all of the books everywhere and they end up grabbing the most random of books that once they get home, they already have lost interest in reading. And so I think there's nothing wrong with them picking out a book or two. And I actually... Um, this year just got them their own library card, which was a real big deal. So that was incentivizing. But then I also make sure to grab those, you know, that list of maybe seasonal books that I know they're going to love. And then that way I'm making sure too, that there's a good mix of just for fun books, plus some quality literature, plus some learning, all of that mixed in there. And then it kind of narrows it down for them and they aren't so overwhelmed by choices and they can, you can kind of help them find books or steer them towards books they might be interested in. Uh, my good friend, Kelsey, as mentioned before with the um, podcast, she actually just does a thing that I love so much. So she will do that. She will put a whole bunch of books on hold at the library, go pick them up while her kids are in school. And then she sets them all out on the couch, like displays them in a very fun way. And then it's very enticing when they get home and it buys her like an hour of extra quiet time as they're paging through all these books together. And I thought that was such a cute idea. Um, Another one is letting them see you read, especially like, I don't know, traveling is a great time for this, that you're maybe on your Kindle or you always pack a book with you. They see you maybe reaching for a book instead of TV sometimes. I will have like a family reading party sometimes where we just set a timer. I light a candle, I play some music 
and we all read our own books. This works better as kids get a little older and can read silently, but everyone's sitting on the couch together or in the living room together, but we're all reading our own books and you can kind of build up from five minutes up to like 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and that helps them with their stamina. It also just like reinforces this idea that we can be that, that like mommy has something to read too. Like reading is a lifelong thing and that we can be in the same room enjoying each other's company, but doing our own thing. Again, that's a great one to pull out when you have nothing left at the end of a day and you feel like your kids have already had too much screen time or something like that. That's a great one. My girls also work towards book bucks with behavior. So instead of a little random treasure box, I my girls get a tally mark every day that they have shown up for homeschooling with their best effort um, and good attitudes. So if, if I've determined that they've done that, they get a tally mark. And once they get 10, they collect 10 book bucks that they can spend on books. And so they can save those if they want for like a more expensive book or a series, or they can just, you know, grab a new, grab the next one up in their series on Amazon or whatever they want to do, but they get book bucks for behavior instead of random little toys. Okay. So how about supporting that may be new or struggling reader. I think the first thing I want to do with this is put it in perspective a little bit. Um, just because, and this is my homeschooler, <laughs> my my unlearning some things that I that were a habit for me. Um, just because a standard says a kid should read in this manner by this age does not mean they're all going to do it. Um, I think we need to remember that while reading is so important and foundational, it's also very developmental. And often we don't treat it like it is. We don't think of it as something like walking and talking. You cannot force it before they're ready. Um, Schools often are pushing earlier and earlier because kids are in school earlier and earlier ages. That doesn't mean they're necessarily ready to read yet. So don't panic if your kid is not reading yet or struggling And also, if you're going to double down on something, double down on the enjoyment piece of reading. Those things we talked about earlier about making reading fun and enticing and don't stress about the rest of it. Um, There are some pieces, though, that you need to be aware of that that contribute to strong readers. Okay, so the first thing is. Before kids do anything else, they need to build phonological awareness. So phonics is not just sounding out words, right? But often as a parent, that's about all we know how to do to encourage our kids when they're struggling to read. And the reality is kids need a solid background in phonological awareness, which is a fancy word that means all things, the sound of language. So rhyme, repetition, being able to hear each separate word in a sentence, being able to hear the syllables in a word before they can start doing things with those words, like blending each sound into words to read them. So all the things you do, especially as kids are little, like rhymes, poetry, finger plays, think, you know, five little pumpkins sitting on a gate, um, songs, music, all of those things are what builds that background of phonological awareness. And then from there, they can start working on phonemic awareness. So most think most people might think of this as more traditional phonics instruction, like beginning, middle, and ending sounds in words, blending sound chunks in words, changing words around using phonemes. So phonemes are those chunks of sound in language, right? So 
just just remember that there's an order to that and all those things need to be in place um, for kids to be strong readers. So those that phonics background, that background with language and pre-literacy skills, like the concept of, you know, reading from left to right, listening to you read, building all of that, and then working on that phonics instruction is all going to be super important to being able to decode words and then being able to read fluently because you're able to decode words and then being able to comprehend what you read because you read it fluently and with the correct expression. So there's a lot going on in the science of reading. In fact, I would really, really recommend following, especially if you have a young reader or a struggling reader, following Heidi over at Drop in Knowledge with Heidi on um, Instagram. She is a wealth of resources. She's got a Teachers Paid Teachers storefront with some learning activities and things you can do. Um, But she is a wealth of knowledge on this, on developmentally appropriate reading instruction that actually works. So I would highly recommend her. Also, Naomi from Read Like a Rockstar is a wealth of information. And both of them, again, have Teachers Paid Teachers resources that can be helpful if you are a teacher or a parent struggling with this. Um... My kids are a little past the the explicit phonics instruction phase in terms of introducing it. We're now working with it in more sophisticated ways, of course. But if they weren't past this program, I would totally be using All About Reading, which is a, it's a homeschool curriculum. You could use it to work on it with your kids after, you know, after school also if they're in a traditional school setting. But that is just a really strong program and that that does all of those things well, I think. And I've seen and heard some great things. So that will be one of the first programs I would check out. Okay, so now that I've given you some good ideas for raising readers, raising kids who love to read, who feel competent reading and can read to learn and be successful contributing members of society, um, it is time for a discipline dilemma talked about this on last week's show, but I'm going to make this a regular feature where you send me your kid discipline, kid behavior dilemma question, and I answer it with my best advice. So um, this one comes from Alicia and she says this, I need help encouraging one of my children to use a nicer and more respectful tone sometimes. Mm -hmm. We've all been there. I will remind her of some things she should be doing. And the response is an exasperated, I know I will, in a tone that doesn't sound respectful. I will say something like the way you said that did not sound respectful, but I've yet to come up with a consequence for this. Okay. Ah, the tween sass. We are firmly in that stage of parenting over here. Also, it's the particular brand of sass I have going on in my house right now too. So first of all, I think it's great that disrespect is a deal breaker for you and it should be. I think something I work on a lot is allowing them to have their feelings, which is hard because sometimes they don't seem so rational, but making it super clear that any feeling is okay You can be mad. You don't have to like the thing I told you to do. You can be frustrated, but you are going to speak to me respectfully and we're going to treat each other with respect in this house. So I think that that's great that you have that as a foundation. Um, Something you could try just maybe adding to the phrase that you had said above, like that didn't sound super respectful, is maybe try that again, please. 
Or would you like to try that again? Sometimes I just turn to my kids without even saying anything. If they have given me a response like that or asked for something in a rude, disrespectful way, I will just say, um, would you like to try that again? With a pointed look on my face that tells them that that was unacceptable. And that seems to sometimes work because it, you don't always need a consequence. Sometimes they need to just be called out and given a chance to correct it. They're still learning that their autonomy, their, you know, their increasing autonomy and independence as a kid does not mean they just get to act any kind of way they want. So they're going to need frequent reminders like that. I kind of think about it like redirecting a toddler. They need to know that it won't be ignored, but then also given a chance to correct it without just like bringing down the hammer all the time. Um, the other thing is make sure you're modeling respect and a respectful tone. This is a hard one for me. I am preaching to mostly myself right here. I am real sassy and I'm just I'm just kind of fiery. And so when I feel disrespected, especially, I will snap back real quick or I will be very sarcastic often with them or I will I am just not always the most respectful in how I talk to them. So that's something I'm personally working on. Then if from there, if that doesn't work or if it's an, it's the next level offense, um, I would say something like, I won't let you talk to me that way. You can go to your room and we're going to have a talk in a few minutes um, and, and think of how, how you need to talk about that next time. Or you may come out when you're ready to talk to me with respect. Um, and when I, co- when I go in, if, I, if I'm the one to send them to their room for something or, you know, maybe walk away, even be the one who walks away. Like, I won't let you talk to me that way. So I'm going to be back in a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about how that could have been handled differently. And you can be the one to walk away also. But when I do have that couple of minutes later talk, um, it's nice because it gives you a minute to calm down and get your thoughts. I try to stick to the basic format of asking them what happened. So like expecting them to tell me what happened there that was not okay. Um, expecting them to then, then I'll ask them, what is our rule about that? Or what, what is our expectation about that? Um, and that reminds them of, of what's expected of them. And then I ask, what will you do differently next time? So the next time that, you know, you don't like me reminding you about something, what will you do differently next time? How will you talk to me about that next time? Um, and the other thing with that is that they, if they're not ready to have that conversation yet, and they're still nothing, you know, making faces, grumpy, whatever, I will just simply walk away and I say, oh, I see you need more time. Just so they know, like, we're not going to drop this just because you don't like talking about it. I will be back and we will talk about this, but now is not the time because you're still in that angry space and you're, you'll have to calm down before I can talk to you, you know, and you're ready to like rejoin the society of this family (laughs) Um, with a respectful tone. So I don't know if that's super helpful. Those are, it's kind of a multi-pronged approach and it is hard because it's hard. It's hard to know at these ages when they're just really starting to try all these things out, what to just ignore. But I I do think that disrespect is a, is a thing you don't ignore. And maybe in the moment you let them storm off to their room with the, Oh, I just hate you. You know, whatever negative attitude but then that's always something that you you bring up later and you address it doesn't always have to be right in the moment but that that is something that is never going to be um allowed or or ignored completely 
that we treat each other with respect in this house. So I hope that is helpful. That is it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can always send me a discipline dilemma question um, as well as anything else you want to chat about over on Instagram. Again, I am at Lad Erica over there where you can find all kinds of videos on curriculum, the books and resources that I love. I'm going to share our read alouds for the year, like I said, and what my kids are independently reading. Um, Just lots of behind the scenes of life and homeschool over here. You can also find the show notes with links to anything I talked about for this episode in your podcast player. And I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at hellohomeschoolhood at gmail.com. Until next time, remember you are your child's first and most important teacher and you've got this.